0: All right, well, come on back, and um, we had so many announcements, I hesitate to give you a couple more, but I will. So, hey, listen, we're in the middle of a 14-week study called Foundations of the Faith. We just keep running that study As often as people gather to do it, and, uh, you know, we have a small group right now, which is okay. We don't care. Small, large, doesn't matter to us. We're going through the foundations of the faith, the building blocks of the faith. No homework. You just show up and we fill out a sheet about the Lord. You're welcome to join, even though we're halfway through. If you've never done it and you're sitting there thinking to yourself, well, I know too much to go, I don't know about that one that you're probably the prime candidate, okay? So uh, uh, we're going to start you out on the humility uh, section. But anyway, uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, But not really, but kind of. But but I I encourage you to join. But here's what we're going to do. I haven't told the Bible college people this because I'm going to teach Daniel in the Bible college, so I won't be able to do Sunday morning. So hopefully they're going to schedule me on Tuesday night, but we'll see about that. I'm going to walk us through this book on prayer uh, after the Foundations of the Faith class is over, which I, I, I don't know, seven more weeks, so whatever that is. And we're going to have a sign-up sheet next week so we can get you enough books or get enough books. Uh, I've read this book three times since May. May 31st, I think I got it, or May 23rd. I've read it three times I've never read anything like this, and I've read almost all the f- most famous works on prayer. Uh, it's by a guy named O. Hallisby, and he's a Norwegian. And uh, this book is amazing, and what one of the things that God has charged me with is to have our fellowship be, be a praying fellowship, both individually at home, in your own personal devotional life, and also uh, corporately. And um, so <clears throat> I'm going to walk us through this. Maybe some other folks will help me do it, uh, this book on prayer. So we're going to sign you up next week. We'll have a sign-up sheet. The book is downstairs if you want to buy it today. Uh, we only sell the books for cost, so, but anyway, they're down there. Okay, turn with me to the book of Colossians. Uh, and I want you to just look, we're going to pick up in the second chapter, that's where we left off uh, a couple weeks ago, but I want to show you a verse, I could show you a million, I heard all of them, they're also uh, amazingly wonderful, but I'm going to show you a verse in the fir- first chapter that we all should know, and uh, that's this verse. It's verse 18. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18 says this. I lost it. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. You see, in the first section of this little book, of this little book, Colossians 1.18. In this first section of this little book, Paul declares the preeminence of Christ. He declares the preeminence of Christ. And then throughout the middle section, it's like, <laughs> you know, I don't know, the red signs, or flashing lights, danger, danger, danger. And what he says is, is that there are certain philosophies, certain ideas, certain ways of thinking, certain, listen to this, religious structures that threaten people in their understanding of Colossians one eighteen that Christ is first and all and enough and best, and you don't need anything else other than Christ. That's what he says through the middle of the book. And then in the last two chapters, which we'll get to in the next couple weeks, he says, in light of that, how do we live? How are we to live? That's the book of Colossians. But you won't understand the book of Colossians unless you understand that Paul here, the writer is writing to combat false ideas and theology that have crept up in Paul's time and remain till this day. And it's systems of thinking, one of the systems of thinking was what we call Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is a word, a fancy word, a Greek word for knowledge. Gnostics, uh, Gnostics, they, remember, I told you this a couple weeks ago, begin with the assumption that matter, M-A-T-T-E-R, matter, things that you can feel and touch, it's evil. And that only uh, the things that are good are things that are spiritual, which lead people or have led people to two different divergent ways of thinking when you have that uh idea about spiritual things. One is, well, if this stuff, like my body, the things you can see, is evil and only the spiritual inside counts, then I'm just going to live like I want to live. I'll have license to do anything I want to this body and just ask for forgiveness later. That's one way. Just live in a licentious way. The other system of thinking that came out of that was to tame the flesh because it was so evil. So you would deny it stuff or whip it. And you think I'm kidding. People would whip their backs and try to beat their bodies into submission to the things that God would have for them. And so that is one of the things that Gnostics thought, that matter was evil and that only the spiritual count. Other things that they thought, that there were several emanations, angels, degrees of angels, and there's all kinds of them, that would be mediators between God and people. And since Jesus had a body, remember what they thought about bodies, and he had come to the earth to live among humans, well, he was on the bottom of the angelic or emanation, if you want to say it that way, food chain, and so that there was this degrees of Uh, angels that could get you to heaven. But the the weird part about this was is that you had to have this mystical, special knowledge that God delivered to you so that you could understand higher and higher what these emanations were about. (laughs) And what it did was it excluded the common people because the great thinkers would go around and say, well, you know... My IQ is here, and so I've learned some things about God, and I've beat my body in such a way that I clearly am more spiritual than you are. You've done none of this stuff. And so it created this super spiritual, pious, elite group who looked down on others, something that's so anti-Christian you can hardly believe it, and yet uh, that's what Gnosticism did. There were other things that Paul was combating. One of the things he was combating was Jewish legalism. He attacked uh, uh, the old Old Testament laws and the dietary. Uh, prescriptions that were set out in the Old Testament. And he attacks it. You can really see it similarly in the book of Galatians. And one of the big things that they were arguing about that people were saying to churches, including this church in Colossae, was that if you wanted to be a good follower of Christ, you must be circumcised. And you go, well, Come on, you're going to bring that up in church? Well, hey, listen. In Genesis chapter 17, God made a covenant with who? The Gentiles or Israel? Israel that on the eighth day all men would be circumcised. A little cutting away of the flesh, right? And so many in the church... We're saying to people at Colossae, which, by the way, Paul had never been to this church, and that's a whole separate sermon, the heart of a man to see people grow in Christ. Here he is in prison, knowing, unless the Lord intervenes, that the Romans are going to take his life, and he's worried about some little podunk church that he's never been to in Colossae, and he's willing to pour his heart out for them. Well, they say people were coming in and saying, well, you know, if you Gentiles, that's what Colossae people were, they were non-Jews for the most part. There were some Jews there, but for the most part they were non-Jews. If you don't get circumcised like the law prescribes, well, you're not in. There's no salvation for you. And so that's one thing that Paul is dealing with. Another thing that he's dealing with is Gnostic legalism. That if they're circumcised, somehow they would be more spiritual. They would be more spiritual. And if they watched their diets and observed certain days, well then, if you do that and pray enough and beat your body into submission enough, maybe, just maybe, you could be part of the spiritual elite. Oh my goodness. You see how wrong thinking about who Christ is? Can lead to disastrous, diabolical, sick, twisted results. And you know why God hates it, because it keeps people from coming to Him in the simplicity of knowing Jesus as all in all, preeminent, first place. And I hardly have to tell you that I—we've read through all the reasons. That Jesus is preeminent. He's the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. By him all things were created. I'm reading from verse 15, chapter 1, 16 now. And that all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him, and this is important, for him. Never forget that. Never forget that Jesus not only participated in creation, but everything that is created, including you, is created for him. That's really important because many in the American church believe Jesus is created for them. It gets people off track all the time. Hey, Lord, you know, I've decided I need to do this, this, and this, and you're not blessing it, and I'm really getting ticked off about it. That's how we treat God, like our butler. But see, we're created for him, and that's really important. And he says he's before all things, and he's eternal, and in him all things consist. He holds everything together. The the atom, the atomic glue that nobody can figure out, it's Jesus holding it together. And when he lets go, boy! and he's the head of the body, the church, who's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. And we talked last time that it pleased the Father that in all the fullness should dwell. All the fullness of God is in Jesus. And he's doing this to reconcile all things to himself. All this whole program is so that he can get you and I and we, men and women, boys and girls, to him for eternity. That's the big program. You think, I think, I got to show up at 8 o'clock tomorrow, work 8 to 5, do my thing, go home, create a white picket fence, get on some vacations, uh, retire and draw my 401k, play golf all the time, and just, you know, that's going to be my life. See, but see, God's called you to something amazingly bigger. I don't even know if that's grammatically correct, but I don't care, because he's called you to this big story And the story is eternity. And he wants all or as many as will come and repent to come and be with him. And that's the whole program. And that's why he's preeminent. And the the whole message here in the first part is you don't need all the other stuff. He's perfect. What he's accomplished is perfect. What he will accomplish is perfect. You don't need the other stuff. You say, well, come on, Colossae, 2,000-some years ago, big deal. Well, folks, look around. It's still happening today. We're saying things like, yes, we believe in grace, and yet we're making people or telling people that we have to take the bread and the wine over and over again to resacrifice and resacrifice and resacrifice. And if you don't come and do that, oh boy, you're in trouble. When actually the bread and the wine is this amazingly mysterious, beautiful picture of something that Christ did and is doing, having communion with us. But to say that it's over and over again a resacrifice what does it do? It diminishes what Christ accomplished at the cross. Now, I'm not just picking on one denomination or anything like that. There's some people who say things like, well, you know, if you don't worship on Saturday, hmm, you're not going to heaven. You say, what? You're not going to heaven? What are you talking about? Well, no, you're, you're, you're violating the Sabbath. You're in sin. And the funny part is, today, Sunday, ain't the Sabbath, folks. The Sabbath was from Friday night to the Jew to Saturday night. We don't worship on the Sabbath. And what, why are you saying, well, wait a minute. Really? We don't? No, this ain't the Sabbath. Sabbath. The first day of the week is what the early Christian church chose to worship on because that's the day Jesus rose from the dead. And Romans 6 says, I'm trying to set up what we're going to talk about today, is that we've been delivered from the law to under this thing called grace. We're under a new covenant of grace. So I get people sometimes come in and say, my goodness you've never said one thing about Advent. We're, we've, we're, we're moving up to the calendar and it's going to be December 25th soon and I've never heard you say one thing about Advent. And you say, well, hmm. Let's read Colossians 2 together. See, here's the reason, folks. We'll boil it down to this. Jesus said this. Do you remember this? He said, If you're weary, if you're heavy laden, just, hey, will you do me a favor? Come to me, the Lord says, and I will give you. What will he give you? Rest. Hey, should we take a day off? Yeah, it's a fantastic principle, wonderful principle. We should take a day off and focus on the Lord. Great principle. But what happens if we don't? Jesus is our Sabbath. Our life is a life of rest. God wants us to operate out of rest always, but resting in him. You take a day off, wonderful. Okay, now why am I telling you that? Because there's going to be people come knock at your door and they're say, you don't uh, worship on the Sabbath. You better get that straight, man. That's addressed in here today. So it's relevant for today, this book. It's relevant for today. And lest I forget to remind you, remember in... Chapter 2, Jesus said, or excuse me, Paul said about Jesus, it's not philosophy. philosophy is going to not get you anywhere. Christ will get you somewhere. And in fact, he makes this a soundy statement in verse 9. For in him, Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. Everything that God is, Jesus is. It dwells in him bodily. And then this thing that's so incredibly spiritually staggering, when you read it, you should almost get weak in the knees. Because it says, you and I in Christ are complete in him who is the head of all principality and powers. Now, everything I've read to you here out of this Bible, out of Colossians, is almost every line of this is a direct attack against one of these false doctrines or false systems of thinking. Gnosticism, bang. Jewish legalism, bang. Gnostic legalism, pow. Everything he's writing here is to defeat it, and in the midst of that, he gives us this amazing Christology, Christology that's just so overwhelming that when we read it and understand it and the Spirit comes into our life, we just want to pour our whole lives out to him. That's this book. Here's where we get next. In verse 11, chapter 2, remembering that this is a, Little church in Turkey, Asia Minor, God bless you, that came as a result of a sharing church, the church at Ephesus, who shared with these little churches in this little valley in Turkey. In fact, in the book of Acts, it says that that Ephesus church shared with all of them out that way. Don't you want to be a sharing church? It doesn't matter, folks. It doesn't matter. A thousand people, a hundred people, ten of us, one of us, five of us. Okay, let's build ourselves up in the Lord and go share the gospel with as many people as we can. That's this book. Here it comes. Verse 11. Lest you lose everything about the preeminence of Christ, beware. Philosophy won't do it. By the way, what is the philosophy of the world? You hear it all the time. Oprah loves to say it. You got all the power within you. You got all the power within you. And the Bible says, oh, well, you got a problem within you. And the problem is your heart is deceptively wicked. Who could know it? The soul that sins shall surely die. And if you think you're not a sinner, well, you're not paying attention. Because the Bible says we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No, the power within is not accurate. That's philosophy. And Jesus says, you don't need philosophy, you need me. Here's what else he says. Watch out about this. Verse 11, chapter 2. In him, (laughs) Christ, you were, past tense to Colossian believers, you were also circumcised, wait a minute, Acts 15 said you didn't have to be circumcised. These people don't have to be physically circumcised. What's going on here? In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Wasn't by a priest. I put that in. By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God. Who raised him from the dead. And you... Being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Oh, wow. That's better than the Super Bowl win. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Oh, that is utter domination. So let no one, here comes the warnings, let no one judge you in food, or in drink, or regarding a festival, or regarding a new moon, or regarding a, here it comes. A Sabbath, which, <laughs> it's so simple, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head. Who's the head? Jesus. Jesus from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, verse 20, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, think about that. Remember when I was just a minute ago saying we got a problem? (laughs) It's not the power within, folks. Read that in the light of this. You died with Christ from the basic principles of the world. Why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using. According to the commandments and doctrines of men. Why would you do that? These things, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion. Who wants to be involved in self-imposed religion? Raise your hand. Nobody wants to, I think. Well, that might not be true. False humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Now, let me pray, because this is sort of harder to explain to you. Lord, thanks so much for this day, and we need your help. I mean, we need your help here, Lord. What do we do? We love to know what do we do? What do we not do? When can we go? Where can we go? What can we do? So, Lord, we're just praying that your Spirit would fill us, that whether we're thinking about it or talking about it or teaching it, this would come alive to our hearts so that we can live in true freedom in Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, now that you have the uh, 20-minute background, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of the sins of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. These born again, spirit filled Colossian believers had had something happen to them, and remember, they're not Jewish, they had been circumcised spiritually. Oh, by the way, if you're in Christ, this has happened for you. I'm not trying to be um, inappropriate here, male or female. Something's happened to you. So let's examine what is circumcision. It was God's covenant with Israel. I mentioned that to you. That's in Genesis 17. It's in verses 9 through 14. At the end of eight days or after eight days, you would take your male child and they would cut off uh, this foreskin of the male. And it was a picture of, an idea of, or a, a symbol of, a cutting away of the flesh And living according to the flesh. And it was God's covenant with Israel. And you know this, that the Bible tells us that we are sinners by nature now. Sin entered the world through one man, Adam. But then it spread to all of us so that if you were born, and it looks like you are, You were born with a sin nature. You were born with a nature of sin, and you do sin, which makes you a sinner because you were born with a sin nature, and you do sin. And the Bible tells us, we're going to read it here in a minute, that you're a slave to sin outside of Christ. Both your sins have not been paid for or taken care of, and the power of sin dominates you outside of Christ. And so God set up this system in Genesis 17 with the Jews that pointed to, or was a picture of, something, watch, that Christ accomplishes in our life. And that's a spiritual circumcision. When you surrender your life to Christ and count on the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross and his resurrection, look at this. The Lord cuts away takes care of that flesh nature and replaces it with his presence, his righteousness. Well, that's pretty good. I I mean, I don't mean me being pretty good, but that's pretty good. I mean, that's amazing. We should all be up standing and clapping, and here's why. Have you ever had, you know, have you ever said something or done something, and you think, oh, my gosh, how did that come out of me? Or thought something. It just like came into your head and you're like, it's just staggering. How could I ever think or do that? That's because you're born with a sin nature. And you are a sinner. You commit sin. And here it says that something needs to happen to you. It happened to the Colossian, uh, uh, the church in Colossae. Turn with me, would you, to Romans 6. The same author... The Apostle Paul says some things in the sixth chapter of the book of Romans. We've got to just read it. I mean, it's just almost self-explanatory, but look at this. What shall we say then, verse 1? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? You know, when people find out about grace, what do they say? One of the first questions is, you mean I can just go ahead and do what I want and ask for forgiveness later? Well, Paul addresses that here, and he says, well, certainly not. And the language in the Greek is like, that's really stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly not. No way. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And then he says, or do you not know? Be honest with yourself. Do you know that a spiritual transaction took place with you that's called spiritual circumcision. Maybe you didn't know that, and Paul's saying right here, I want you to know. Don't you know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? What does that mean? It means your life became so identified with Christ's life. You're linked to Christ so that all that happened in Christ's death happened for you. The old nature was put away, or slain, or killed, that you were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism. You say, wait a minute, you mean water baptism? No, this baptism where you were immersed into Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory, and you're in him, You were baptized into that, so all that happened to Christ on the cross when you surrender to him happens for you. Your old nature was buried. You were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. Why do you think we do what we do in baptism? Hey, my friend Bob Wessel, he's not here today. I don't know how old Bob is, uh, he's, he's like me, he's a little bit of an older gentleman. When we had Narrow Way, we had 15 people get baptized, and 14 of them were kids, and one of the most beautiful things was Bob got baptized with them. It was beautiful, and he felt, when I told him what we were going to do with the kids, he felt a little funny, I think, at first, and then he came and he just saw how beautiful Because it doesn't matter. Kids day, not kids day, we're all one in Christ. But here he took that faith where he said, something that's already happened to me, I'm going to go and be obedient and actually show the world what's happened. And what has happened is his old life has been put to death under the water, baptized, immersed in Christ, and he's been raised to new life up out of the water. And that's what this is talking about, that Stuff we do in the water is a picture or a symbol, but the substance, remember, Colossians, is Christ. The water has no power. God, through his son Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, is the one who's created and done it all. You see that? That's what I want you to know. People can say, well, look, look, folks. Well, are you going to heaven? Well, I've been baptized. Somebody sprinkled water on me when I was a little kid. Watch out. It's not the water that has the power. It's the blood of Christ. And when people surrender their whole life to that, this chapter 6 happens to them, to us. Here he says, for if we've been united, verse 5, together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. You have, do you know this? Jeremy Camp should write a song about this. You have resurrection life in you. It's him. It's him. You don't, you will have a resurrected glorified body, but the resurrected life started the minute you surrendered your life to Christ. You see. Isn't that amazing? So in verse, well, verse 6 here, I'm lost my way. But knowing this, that our old man was crucified him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Before we came to Christ, we had no alternative. We're slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. So I want you to see something. For those who are in Christ Jesus, your debt has been paid. We'll see it here in a little bit. But not only has the sin debt been paid, the power over sin over your life has been taken away. So that you're no longer a slave to sin, your old man was crucified him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, verse 7, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Christ died for our sins, our old man has died, and we've been freed from sins. Now, if we died with Christ, see, if it happened to Christ, it happened to us. We believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that if it happened to Christ, it happened to us. We believe that we shall live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Why are we sad that our friend Jerry has died? Because we loved him. But why are we so smiley and hopeful? Because we know he's with Jesus for eternity. For (laughs) I keep getting excited and losing my way. Verse ten, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise you also now circle that word, reckon, it means consider, count. Count yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Do you know what one of the things you should be doing when you get up and do your devotions in the morning? counting and considering and thinking about this exact thing because it says reckon keep remembering that you're dead to sin but alive to god in christ jesus therefore don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust and don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin but present yourselves to god as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to god for sin shall not have dominion over you here it comes this is Colossians. This is Galatians. For you are not under law, but you're under grace. What then shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? Certainly not. You do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you're that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death, or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed Him from how the heart, not out of obligation but the heart, that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, verse 18, here it comes, I tried to get us to this, you became slaves of righteousness. See, so what happens to a person when they're circumcised spiritually? You thought I forgot where we were, didn't you? Well, I almost did. (laughs) (laughs) Is that you've now become translated from one kingdom to the other, where formerly you were a slave to sin, where now you're a slave to righteousness. You say, well, I still sin. Yep, you do. Paul said, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I do do, I don't want to do. That's in the next couple chapters. We still have that fleshly war going on, but before you had no option. You were a slave to sin. Now you're a slave to righteousness, and the trajectory of your life is not as a sinner, but as one who has the righteousness of God in him or her. That's so beautiful, and that's all in Colossians 2, verse 11. He's telling the Colossian folks this, but he's telling us, because you're going to get knocks on your door from people who believe in false doctrine. And what Paul is saying to the Colossians and to us is to remember, you don't have to go through the thing where they cut away the foreskin. You've already had the best and greatest thing happen to you. Your spiritual flesh was cut away. Anything and all things that were at variance with God have been put away and put to death, and now you live for Christ. That's what he's saying here. You talk about preeminent. In him you were also circum... Wow, I got through one verse. (laughs) By putting off the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, you were buried with him in baptism. See, you're starting to understand it now. In which you also were raised through him. How do you plug in to chapter 6 of Romans and all of this? You just believe and trust. You say, well, wait a minute. Don't I have to give money? Don't I have to be at the Bible studies? Don't I have to be on the committees? Don't I have to do this? No, no, no. See, he took care of all of those things by his death and resurrection. So that you're accepted by God through the blood of Christ, and what you do is just believe it. What are the works that I have to do? Someone asked Jesus, and he said, just believe. And yet because you have believed and trusted Christ and he's planted it in your heart, Ephesians 2.10 says, oh, hey, by the way, you're his poem. In other words, he's writing your story and he has works, good works for you to do and he's created them before you even were born. Man, that puts a great spin on your life, doesn't it? You matter. Well, buried with him in baptism, raised with him through faith and the working of God, who raised him from the dead. It's God's work. He keeps telling you this. You remember, all these lines are written to attack false doctrine because people are going to come and say things like, well, you know, if you're good enough and righteous enough, you might just be able to populate your own planet. There are people who are going to knock on your door that say that stuff. You're looking at me like, What? It's very prominent. It's in all of your neighborhoods. Here Jesus is saying, wait a minute, I'm the one that did all the work. (laughs) You're just receiving what I've done, and you're now going to live for me in faith, work walking in good works. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. How does uh, Paul through the Holy Spirit describe people who've not surrendered their lives to Christ? Well, they're spiritually dead. In, why? Because they've trespassed, and they haven't had their flesh circumcised. Get it? And you, being dead in your trespasses, uncircumcision of your fle- flesh, see you, he's made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. Now, you've got to catch the Greek here. If you catch the Greek here, every morning you're going to wake up, and you're just going to go, Wow, thank you, Lord. One of the things that he writes here is this handwriting of requirements. That was like this. uh, Maybe some of you have done it. Um, You've uh, borrowed something or some sort of transaction, and you recognize, you knew that you owed a debt. And so you went to the person that you couldn't pay back immediately, and you wrote in the old days, remember what you wrote? I owe you, and you gave it to them. And now we have these fancy legal documents that govern those transactions that say you owe a debt to somebody. See, that's what this Greek word means. It actually means autograph, signing up for the debt. And you say, well, wait a second. How did people know that they had a debt? Well, the Jews knew they had a debt. How did the Jews know they had the debt? The Old Testament law, it says, was a uh, system of laws that condemned you if you didn't lead up to them. And it actually is, quote from the Bible, a schoolmaster that leads you to Christ. In other words, you say, wow, I can't do all of that stuff. I try, but I can't. And the one Paul said that wiped him off the map in this regard was covetousness. Thou shalt not covet. If you say you haven't coveted, I'm going to have to call you a liar. You've coveted over something, something. And Paul said that was his besetting sin. But all of them, have you stolen? You say, no, I haven't stolen. Well, did you take the pen from work? I have stories about that. I was writing a sermon one time, for those who haven't been here in a while, up in, uh, up in uh, Somerset one time, and this, I love pens, and I'm at Starbucks, and this girl gives me a pen, cause, uh, one of the workers, the baristas, and I'm out on the deck, and it's a beautiful day, and I'm writing out the sermon, and I'm studying, and I look at the pen, and I'm actually thinking, whew, I love this pen. It, she'll never know. And then I think to myself, what am I thinking? I'm writing the sermon with this pen. <laughs> anyway, that's another story. <clears throat> but we're, well, the Jews had the law. But you say, well, how, how, how did Gentiles know they were in debt to the Lord? You need to check out, and so do I, Romans 2. It says we're all guilty, Jew and Gentile, and the reason we're guilty is because we have a conscience and we know we've fallen below the standard of God. So we all, look, have a handwritten IOU of requirements that was against us. Oh, oh, wait a minute. You're like, well, I thought you said this was great. (laughs) Well, you don't know the word, I don't think. For wiped out. See, that word in the Greek is this word that has to deal with paper. What? Well, in the ancient times, they used different sorts of paper, papyrus and uh, other sorts of paper that was really expensive. And the ink that they used didn't have a lot of acid in it. So when you put acid in ink, guess what it does to the paper? It grabs it. But they didn't use a lot of acid in their ink, so the the ink wouldn't grab the paper. And what this is saying right here is that this handwritten requirements that you've signed and you know you owe the debt, God through Jesus Christ did what the old people or the old ancient writers would do. They took a sponge and they would wipe it off and it was a clean slate. And that's what he's saying right here. That Jesus wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. You had a debt that you couldn't pay. And God, in his perfect justice, didn't just forgive the debt and say, "Eh, just go ahead, Tim. No, he said, I'll pay it for you so that your slate can be wiped clean. I'll send my son for you. Oh, my And he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross. I want you to see something here. Some people are going to get mad at me about this but this is what it says. He not only crucified the handwriting of requirements that were against us and wiped it out, he actually took the law and nailed it to the cross. He took the law to the cross so that you're no no longer under the law but you're under grace. Do you get it? So that these critics or these false teachers, he's blowing their argument out of the water with real facts inspired by the Holy Spirit. And then he did something else. He disarmed all the principalities and powers, and he didn't just disarm them. he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it. You're like, wow, see, they had all these emanations. Jesus, maybe, you know, right down here because he came to earth. Are you catching this? He's saying, and another thing that he accomplished at the cross is that he blew away, he disarmed, he stripped away the weapons of our enemy, of our souls, Satan and his minions, their weapons have been destroyed or have been disarmed. He's taken them away, the principalities and powers. So, Warren Wearsby says this about this verse. Catch this. By the way, if you've never read, read Strategy of Satan by Warren Wearsby, you should read it. It's amazing. It's the most balanced, practical, biblical book on spiritual warfare I've ever read. We should get that in the bookstore. But here's what Warren Wearsby says Now, Satan cannot harm the believer. Catch this, catch this. Who will not harm himself or herself. Satan can't harm the believer who won't harm himself or, her, her, uh, or herself, Warren Wearsby. So what are we to do? What, what's happened? He's taken away the potency of the power of Satan. Think about it. If you read Psalm 22, when it shows the Messiah looking out at the crowd, as he's on the cross, and he talks about the bulls of Bashan. I believe it's the demonic forces are laughing and mocking. They finally have him. Up on the cross, you're toast now, buddy. And they, you read it, it's incredible. It's the bulls of Bashan. They think they have him. And in the very thing that the enemy of our souls finally thinks they have Jesus, look at this, the big uppercut, kapow, kapow is the thing he used to disarm them the cross so he disarms them and god t- or the holy spirit tells us in his word through god's word this what are the things that we are to do so that we aren't harming ourselves watch this you're to watch and pray that's one thing be sober so watch and pray what do we do? Watch and lots of activities. Maybe pray, but we don't watch. Watch and pray, and then, of course, gird yourself. Just clothe yourselves with the Ephesians 6 armor. We won't go through all of that. But what, what else did he do? He exposed Satan. He disarmed him, but he also exposed him so that people would see him for what he is in his army. And that is a person or a spirit, sorry, a, a, a spirit that wants to kill and destroy, especially anything to do with the Messiah, and God through the cross exposed it all. Isn't that beautiful? That's something else that happened at the cross. So, in light of this, that's a big so. It's a therefore. Verse 16, so. Circle that, circle that. You go, Wait a minute, why is he getting so excited about so? <laughs> because when you know all of this, <laughs> you're going to live in a free way, not in a bound-up way. And when people come and try to put trips on you, and they will, why don't you, say, why don't you uh, have Sabbath or services? You don't, you don't meet on Saturday? Oh my gosh, you don't do communion every Sunday? I get those questions, folks. You don't sprinkle. You do. You waited 14 days to do the baptism instead of 13 days. You didn't baptism immediately. Questions all come. Been voiced here. There's the big so. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival, or a new moon, or Sabbaths. What are some of the things that the old life under the old law said? Don't eat food that's not kosher. Hamburgers, big no-no. Bacon, no way. God said we're not under that law anymore. Now let me tell you something. Let's take a little time out. Some of the medical doctors have discovered that some of the things that the Lord did in establishing those dietary laws were good for us. So if you want to follow the dietary laws because you want to be healthy, well, praise the Lord. But if you want to follow the dietary laws so that you can either get closer to God or be with God or be more spiritual than somebody else, you're barking up the wrong tree. Therefore, let no one judge you in food or in drink. Let no one judge you so that now you're free to eat in the way in which you are. Now, some of us need to eat a little better, and I'd start with me. But not in your position to God. That's all been taken care of through the so, everything that came before the so, or the therefore. Don't let anyone judge you in food or in drink. How about this one? Don't let anyone uh, uh, judge you regarding a festival, You don't celebrate this Advent here. What are you doing? I'm not coming. Well, that's your prerogative. I mean, if you like Advent, go to Advent. In fact, I read through Advent journals sometimes. Some Christmas seasons, I read through the Advent things. Nothing wrong with it. See, here's the thing that's wrong with everything we're talking about. All of this, you're free in. But the problem becomes when you start projecting it on other people. Oh, Jan, you should be like me and not eat bacon. Or maybe it's the other way or whatever. I'm not picking on Jan, but you know what I'm saying. You, you should be like me. I don't eat hamburgers, man. I, I'm, and, the, and, the, and the implication is, Jan, I'm a little more spiritual than you are. See, when that happens, that's when it becomes inappropriate. Because Paul said, do you remember this? Do you remember this? Paul said, if somebody was not free to do something, he would not do it. So whether he was free to eat the bacon or not to eat the bacon or not to do the hamburger, well, maybe Jan or somebody else wasn't free to do that. So when I go over to the house or whatever, become, I won't do it because I love you. Everything's cool with that. But don't project these things on other people. If you do, it's inappropriate and wrong. And God says in his word, don't have anything to do with that. Hey, don't worry about the Sabbaths. I know, I know what people think about the Sabbaths. But we are Sabbath lifestyle people in Jesus. (laughs) If you want to uh, celebrate on Saturday, praise the Lord. Go do it. You want to celebrate on Wednesday? Wonderful. Thursday? Fantastic. See, because it doesn't matter. Because that's not the reality. It'd be really weird. Wouldn't it be really weird if (laughs) Jan went to Ohio for the weekend to visit her mom? And I kissed and hugged the picture all weekend because I missed her. And when she came back and she got in the driveway, driveway, I just kept hugging the picture and kissing the picture. What would you guys think if I did that? You'd go, hey, dummy, she's here. That's what God's saying to you about Christ. He was the picture of all those things. Rest in him. Let no one do any of these things for these are shadows of things to come but the substances of Christ it's simply Christ let no one cheat you of your reward what do you mean well remember these people thought <laughs> you know I can get up here if I'm mystical and and, and I'm going to look down on you and the Lord uh, the Lord's saying through his word here hey man don't be into that if you just walk simply in Christ just walk in him just, him, just him, you won't be cheated out of your reward. Don't put don't put trips on people, folks. If it's convict you know you're convicted in an area that's a non-essential. Walk in that, but don't convict other people or condemn other people by it. That's what he's saying. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility. See, the Gnostics would be really falsely hu- humble, because what they would say. And see, this appeals to the flesh. I know it does because it appeals to my flesh, and I bet it appeals to your flesh. Man, if I can just do more stuff and be more stuff and attend more stuff and give more money and help more people, well, then I'm here and you're here. And we like that because we can keep score, and it's fun. It appeals to the flesh, and we can become falsely humble. Oh, man. Can you believe how many people I helped this week? So great. You should have seen it. We could say stuff like this. And he's saying, don't do that like the Gnostics would do. Intruding into those things which he has not seen. That's setting foot in this inner sanctuary for only the initiated. That's a really strange phrase in the Greek that they have trouble translating. But he's saying things like, well... These people who do these sorts of things and put trips on you, they believe they're setting foot in the inner circle because they're the initiated. But let no one cheat you of your ward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he hasn't seen. And what happens to you? You become vainly puffed up by your fleshly mind, and you don't hold fast to the head. See, there it is. It's just simply Christ. You know what I think would be best for us tomorrow morning, tonight, is to just grab your little Bible, put your stupid phone somewhere that you can't hear it or see it, or any computer, and just go out and read the Scriptures and walk with Him and talk with Him. Just connect yourself to the head, Jesus. Just do that. Just walk there. Don't Get all mystical and trippy, just Jesus, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. When you do that, your spiritual maturity will just go, it'll grow, because God will bless it. Therefore, if you died with Christ, and you did, from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? See, think about it. These were non Jewish people who were buying the lie that they had to submit themselves to the Jewish law. And he's saying, Why in the world would you do that when you have Jesus? Don't, do not, you say things like, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using. Jesus actually said it, I don't mean to be crude, but he said, the stuff you eat comes into your body and gets eliminated, but it's what comes out of the body from the inner parts, from the heart that really matter. It doesn't matter what you eat other than you should probably be healthy. You <laughs> don't want to eat fudge sundays for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but... <clears throat> But you know what I'm saying. Don't touch, don't taste, don't handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. Don't go back to the doctrines of men. Don't go back to things that people put on you. Just simply trust Christ. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the Bible, but are of, look at this, I'm trying to get us to this, but are of no indulgence to the flesh. You might be able to live a monastic life maybe for 10 years, but absent Jesus Christ, you'll never solve the fleshly old nature problem. You may have fantastic willpower, and you could live according to the dietary laws and do this and do that, but you're never going to solve your sin nature problem without Christ. That's what he's telling you. You'll never do it. There's only one way for you to be free. There's only one way for you to put off the old man and come alive uh, to new life for eternity. And we read it in Romans 6 is to be linked with him in his death and raised to new life. Here's what I want to say as we close. Oh, my goodness, so early. I'm getting weak in my old age here. Here's what I want to say to you as we close. I want you to see the importance of knowing who Christ really is. Not who you think he is, but how he's revealed to us through the word. Paul here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, against the backdrop of all these false teachings, give us, gives us this high, majestic, perfect, wonderful view of Christ. And because of that, he's able, or we're able, the people in Colossae and now us are able to live anchored in this life. Because there will be people that come and say, why don't you celebrate Advent? Why don't you do this day? Why don't you do that day? Why, don't, why do you eat this? Why don't you eat this? How come you don't celebrate that? Why are you worshiping at that time? Why isn't there communion in here every Sunday? And if you're free in Christ because of his revealed world, or word, excuse me, if you're free in Christ because of you know what's true of you, you're going to be able to navigate that. If you don't know these, you'll be tossed like the wind. Oh, you want communion every day? Okay, here, we'll, we'll do that. Oh, wait a second. You want to worship on Saturday night? Okay, we'll, we'll do one of those. Oh, wait a minute. We are not celebrating. Get to Advent on the calendar. Do you see how much of a yo-yo your life will be? Now, again, I, I'm not saying there isn't room to bend. I, I read Advent books. But see, Advent to me is all year long. I'm preparing my heart and thinking about the incarnation and so are you all year long praise you lord that you came as a baby i don't have to wait till december 24th you know with some candle in my hand i don't have to wait till april or the end of march to go yay he rose again it's resurrection day you, you folks your whole life is resurrection day so with that, let's pray. <laughs> well, Lord, thank you for this word, and I thank you, Lord, that you've sent your Son, Jesus Christ, who's totally adequate in all ways, the image of the invisible God. Oh, my the fullness of God, the one who's created all things and all things are created for him, the head of the body, the firstborn among the dead, the beginning of the church and so many other things. We could go on and on and on. Lord, because of all these great and grand and glorious truths, thank you that we can live freely To just return our lives back to you and say, Lord, whatever you have for me, whatever you have for us, we want to serve. Send us. So, Lord, I pray that as we think on these things and pray about these things that you would show us in our lives, is there things that we're holding on to that are jamming us up and we're jamming other people up about? Are we putting trips on people? Are we putting trips on ourselves that we don't have to? How can we live free just in the revealed word of who Christ is and his preeminence? Help us, Lord, to navigate these things. And then help us to go out. Show us people who are hurting and lonely and lost. And give us the courage and the boldness and the love to share your gospel with that dark and hurting world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.